This is a diet of Brussels. Uh, what happened at the uh, Brexit supper? Um, I should really say Das Brexit supper uh, because uh, this is really prompted by uh, an article that appeared in the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung in Germany uh, today uh, or this weekend, which was an account of the dinner that took place uh, last week, so at the end of April, uh, at number 10 between Theresa May and Jean-Claude Juncker, President of the Commission. Um, and uh, everyone knew that it had not been the most successful or enlightening uh, meal, uh, not least because the following morning, first thing we knew that uh, Jean-Claude Juncker had phoned uh, Angela Merkel, uh, the German Chancellor, and then she had changed her speech that she was making that morning uh, and that's when she talked about the uh, need for the UK to stop labouring under the uh, illusions uh, that it has about how Brexit will work. However, what we've got now from this uh, FRZ uh, article is uh, a quite partisan view of what happened, but also one which I think is instructive and, and is worth unpacking uh, and unpicking a bit. Uh, and I'm grateful to the various uh, commentators uh, who have uh, picked over this uh, and spared me having to use my uh, slightly ropey German to try and uh, read through the uh, article uh, in uh, the original German. The points that I think that really come from this is that uh, from Juncker's position, the UK seems to be or is presented as being in a very different place on... Uh, the Brexit process from the EU, that uh, there is a uh, design uh, that the uh, Commission, the European Council, the member states have all agreed to, uh, and the UK seems to be uh, unable to get its uh, head around how this works and what this means. Now, uh, Several points, I think, that, that come from this. Firstly, I think the, the the main one is that, well, there's not, and there never has been a great relationship between Juncker uh, and uh, May, uh, and that this uh, is not going to make them be uh, best buddies uh, as we go along. The, uh, the other point is that the... UK is seen here as being, I think, in a very different place uh, in terms of its political debate. So the argument that May kept on advancing during the dinner was, well, let's make it a success, you know, we can uh, make the, the best of this. And Juncker's argument was, well, this is actually not a success. There is no good uh, outcome that can come from it, that the UK is leaving the EU, it will not be in a particularly close relationship, it will be a more distant relationship, say, than Turkey. And that to talk about this uh, in such uh, positive terms is uh, misguided and uh, unhelpful in uh, Juncker's perspective. Now, uh, Linked to that, then, is a real concern on the part of the Commission that the process is likely, because of this misunderstanding or misalignment, to end in failure. Um, that the the realities of 
making this work are going to be very difficult uh, indeed and uh, it probably needs to be more of a uh, coming to terms with the, the harsh realities of the situation uh, that are going to come through. Now, uh, to take one example that came through in the uh, FRZ piece, uh, there was a uh, uh, repeated claim that, uh, well, we need to sort out the position of EU nationals and uh, uh, EU nationals in the UK, UK nationals in the EU. Uh, we should sort that out uh, first and foremost. And as I just discussed in my, my previous episode about the European Council uh, guidelines, they're very clear that there is no deal uh, until everything is agreed. So there can't be any piecemeal segmentation that we can't reach an early deal on EU nationals um, until uh, we've got everything else sorted. So we might have an agreement in principle, but until that is uh, signed on the dotted line, uh, it is no more than a, a verbal uh, agreement. So uh, that doesn't seem to have really come home uh, in the UK side and uh, again a degree of astonishment that the UK would think that the uh, summit that's uh, uh, going to be held at the end of June might somehow uh, provide a resolution on that particular point. Now uh, uh, similar points that, that comes here is the whole question of the finances and this is an increasingly sore point in the UK that uh, there is going to have to be some resolution of outstanding liabilities. The EU's position has not been to put a figure on this, but simply to say, well, we need to find a fair way of determining what that figure might be. And the figure will be the figure, but it will be a fairly arrived at figure rather than an arbitrary one. Now, uh, May's position seemed to be that the, the UK doesn't owe anything uh, to the EU, uh, not least because there's nothing that... Uh, states that in the treaties um, and uh, that you know as such in the absence of a specific requirement that they could just uh, leave uh, with no uh, costs uh, hanging over them and uh, uh, again the the phrase that was used was that uh, the EU is not a golf club that uh, there is here uh, again a set of obligations that will come uh, and not least in the way that the EU has decided it will tackle this it will not be talking about a future relationship and a free trade agreement until it has sorted out the liabilities that it considers to exist. Now uh, there's a, uh, a sequencing issue that the EU uh, again holds uh, the uh, the cards on this one that it, uh, it has to agree to a new deal if there is to be a new deal uh, and it will only do that if it has sorted out the uh, historic and present situation first of all so uh, it can very clearly say to the UK well we won't do anything until you sort yourself out so if the UK wants to have any kind of deal it would seem that there has to be at least the discussion about making this work now again it's not that the EU has an expectation about a particular amount of money or a particular way it's done, rather that there is a mechanism for dealing with this and thinking about how that is uh, worked up. The procedural side of this, I think, also is reflected in the uh, confusion about the confidentiality or secrecy of the talks that are going to take 
place that uh, there was a request from May that the uh, discussions, the negotiations should be worked through in uh, a series of blocks, uh, so dividing it up by issues, and that these would be done uh, in confidence uh, until the end of the process. Now, um, Juncker was very clear that this was not uh, a possibility. Um, now, in some parts of the media, this is uh, presented as a refusal to keep things confidential. It's more a reflection of the inability of the EU to keep things confidential. So I've uh, commented in my previous podcast, this is a process that is going to involve 28 governments, it's going to involve the European Parliament, it's going to involve a number of national parliaments at different points, uh, the European Commission, the European Council, uh, a whole number of other agencies. Now, the ability of the EU to keep trade negotiations uh, confidential is effectively zero. And uh, the way that the Commission and the EU generally has treated this is that we make a virtue out of this and say, uh, we are going to have a transparent process where we are not going to do things uh, behind closed doors. And as a result, uh, the UK can ask what it likes for in uh, terms of confidentiality, but actually, in practice, the system requires that this is uh, a, uh, an open and public process. Now, for Theresa May, you can understand why that might be problematic, uh, that it potentially means that uh, compromises uh, become more visible to uh, Tory backbenchers, to members of the voting public, uh, and potentially weaken her position. But uh, from the EU's perspective, well, the priority is that the process is the process, um, and there isn't really a credible alternative uh, to doing this, and so they're required to uh, do this in public. Now, all of this really, I think, is striking. Um, striking both in terms of what this FRZ piece says, secondly, that this FRZ piece exists, and I think really reflects the, the different uh, ways that the, the two sides are approaching this. From the UK side, this is a process that Number 10 has tried to keep a very tight control over. Um, it's telling that the article suggests a degree of unhappiness with David Davis, who kept on bringing up the uh, European Court of Justice case that he had brought several times and just seemed uh, unhappy with uh, his um, contributions to the uh, dinner debate. Um, but uh, I think it's... Uh, one where Theresa May's model has been that the best way for her to get through this is to keep as much room for manoeuvre as possible from uh, all sides, whether that's from Parliament, her party, uh, opposition parties, uh, anyone else, that uh, she just wants to be able to do things uh, by herself so that at the end when she presents a deal she can say that she's got the best possible deal uh, without the restrictions or hands tying as she might uh, portray it. Now, uh, that rubs up against the way that the EU has uh, tackled this issue so far, which is to say this is actually something that requires debate and discussion, that there are degrees of compromise that are essential. And remember, I've just talked about two sides. There are not two sides. The EU is not a side. It is 27 different governments, a European parliament, all of whom 
I've got uh, input and say into this process. There's a commission as well. I'm going to have to do the negotiations. All of them coming from different places with different priorities. And so there is already clearly a compromise between different uh, principles and ideas uh, on the European side. And so it's not unreasonable to expect that the UK will have to do the same. This, I think, really suggests that uh, a lot of the concerns that uh, has, uh, have been seen uh, are on the British side are ones that uh, are uh, potentially uh, consequential and shape the dynamic. For me, one I think one of the, the, the most telling points from the, the piece was the uh, reference by Theresa May to her experience in Justice and Home Affairs when she was uh, Home Secretary, where the UK got lots of opt-outs and arrangements, uh, which really, I think, gives the EU a lot of concern. The area of Justice and Home Affairs is one which is very different from most other parts of EU practice, in terms of the legal order that's established in the treaties, because at the treaty level, the UK was given a lot of flexibility. And Theresa May seems to have carried over that model from justice and home affairs into the whole of the relationship and doesn't seem to have uh, an appreciation of uh, the limitations on that kind of approach that exist. Now, uh, there is always difficulty in getting to grips with something particularly as large and involved as this but again i think the 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 logic of uh briefing uh, on this piece and having it pushed out and making phone calls to angela merkel is that uh at one level there needs to be you can say we're taking it positively that uh, Juncker genuinely has concerns about where the UK is and how it's approaching this process and it needs the UK to uh, ad- adjust its uh, attitude if it's to have a hope of uh, coming out of this uh, and reaching an agreement. Alternatively, you could take a more Machiavellian view and say, well, this is a way of pushing the UK along a bit, that it will help uh, raise concerns and you know the fact that we're doing things like this and there are lots of pieces coming out in the uh, news uh, papers and websites and what have you uh, about this piece as well really reflects you know that you might be able to move debates along about what is and isn't possible now that might be about uh, trying to prepare the ground for particular outcomes it might also be for pointing out the the costs of uh, leaving which uh, I think uh, several in the commission feel have been uh, underplayed by the UK uh, at this point. Now, I think where this all leads is hard to say. Number 10 has says that it doesn't recognize the account, uh, which is a a non-denial. It's simply saying, you know, we're not going to accept this as the definitive version, but we're not going to provide you with another uh, version and again from number 10's perspective that's not so uh, hard to uh, explain they can't very well say yes Jean-Claude Juncker's view of that uh, lunch or that dinner was the correct one and we're all wrong and uh, we're all in a muddle and uh, yeah we're going to sort ourselves out they have to push back and again this I think is maybe the main point that the Brexit deal is going to be partly about the substance of the deal but it is probably going to be more about the way that that deal is presented to 
all relevant sides, most obviously to the British public and British Parliament, but also to the parliaments and publics of other member states, because they're going to have to approve it at some point. Now, uh, you can see this, I think, in Theresa May's logic, which is to say, here is uh, a process that is very complicated, where we're probably going to have to make some unpleasant choices. And the best thing I can do is just own the process so completely that no one else gets a look in and uh, ideally doesn't have the opportunity to have a look in uh, in terms of seeing what's going on until the end. And I can say, well, I fought hard and I got the best deal. That's probably the best way for her to go and do this. However, from everyone else's perspective, that's clearly a less than satisfactory way of dealing with things. And I think here we're going to find more and more of these kind of issues coming through as the negotiations get going uh, in June, once we've had the general election. The argument that we might take from all of this is that this process is one that is going to be profoundly political. That, that might sound fairly obvious, but the politics, the optics of this, the selling of this, the communication of this, are going to be critical in the way that this goes. Now we can see this uh, Brexit supper as really uh, an opening Gambit. I think it's going to be one of several set pieces during the next uh, two years where apparently big decisions are being made. And I'd hesitate some caution at this point because actually most of the big decisions were going to happen already. Uh, we've got the big outlines of what a deal might look like, which is, uh, you know, uh, free trade agreements and uh, the resolution of some outstanding uh, issues. But uh, a lot of stuff is going to happen in the background. So whilst we're going to end up focusing on those big moments of discussion and debate, actually we need to keep an eye on the ongoing process. So as we carry on through the next two years, I'm going to keep on doing that. And again, if you've got questions or queries, I'm very happy to pick those up and talk about them further. So I will leave you now. And I hope you enjoyed the Brexit supper.